I think the most exotic first drink I ever had with somebody would be with Stephen because our first drink together was in Bangladesh and the degree of difficulty of getting alcohol there. Oh, yeah. You know. Never difficult for you to get alcohol. <laughs> I've got a whole even, system. Even <laughs> Literally, you're creating a media empire based off of your ability to get alcohol. Honestly, that and olive oil. Welcome to the Cocktail Conversations. I'm Michelle Mitchell and I'm drinking a great big glass of Zeitgeist. Literally, it's the name of the wine. I spent so long looking up uh, proper decanting. So it's from 10 minutes to 45 minutes. <laughs> That's Clarence Page, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist for the Chicago Tribune, trying to open the bottle. We're looking, another badger will slip into Michelle's kitchen and give us <laughs> extra added entertainment. <laughs> Freaking Mapache, man. That's my new ringtone now. That's Sarah Tassler, an award-winning documentary filmmaker and comedy writer who I met at the Berlin Film Festival and bonded with over wine and the fact that Oliver Stone was kind of a jerk to both of us. I just moved and we have not found our wine glasses yet, so I will be an animal drinking out of a coffee mug. Sounds like a good wine glass to me. That's Charles Bierbauer, longtime CNN correspondent who covered Congress, the White House, the Supreme Court. I met him during the Republican convention in 2001. I was just starting my broadcast career. I was completely in awe of him, and he gave me advice every morning in the shuttle van. Uh, not that he remembered when I called him 20 years later. I was telling him your story, Charles, about Walter Mondale. Clarence may have heard it too, but he never had a picture taken with a glass in his hand, whether it was water or anything. He said people can't tell uh, water from vodka. Michelle, it just dawned on me why I never get booked for these shows. That's Stephen Smith, executive director of the USC Shoah Foundation. He's an expert in genocide and basically the worst we can do to one another, but his approach in these worst of circumstances is respectful and kind, and he is a hell of a lot of fun to have a drink with. I love to listen to all sides of an argument. <laughs> I want to find solutions and drink wine. Clarence, it's been ages, but nice to see you. So I'm drinking a 2017 Cabernet from Zeitgeist with a group of people who have made a collective career out of finding, disseminating, and speaking to truth. But what if truth is no longer the zeitgeist? Yeah, drink up, because we just might be in a zero trust society. Well, I guess the first thing we need to talk about before we really dig into media and crisis and humor and how the hell we're gonna move forward, because <laughs> we're gonna do it. As you know, glass by glass, I'm gonna make it possible for us to talk to everyone again. Um, January 6th. I thought um, it's done, like the, the court cases have been brought, the election is resolved, we can move on. I was there that day. It really reminded me uh, of that scene in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds when Tippi Hedger glanced over at the, at the uh, telephone line. There were uh, three or four birds sitting there, turned her head, and then a, a moment later, she turns her head back. There's about a hundred birds there. That was what the steps on the Capitol looked like. Just people gathering, uh, more and more of them. I said, what the hell is going to happen? I'm a historian, so of course I go, I go straight back to the past when I see things happening in the present and say, okay, what am I seeing here that I might have seen before? And of course, you know, because I study genocide, um, I also see things that are unthinkable happen. What concerns me most looking forward is I don't think that's over. That whatever it is, the making of society that put Trump where he is, 
which then means he can say what he says, which gives the crowd what they were always looking for in the first instance. Um, I am less worried about the people that say, I am still worried about the election process, because you might say, okay, they're still pursuing the idea of uh, free and fair elections and they feel robbed in some way. That's kind of understandable. But once they are saying that actually what happened in the Capitol building was not as it appeared, that it was organized by, you know, um, you Antifa, know, Antifa yeah. and so on and so forth, they are then denying the facts because in fact they are pursuing the agenda of further violence. And that's the ones that you need to worry about. What prompted them to, to take as virulent a, an approach as they did and what might have facilitated that? And then how much of this was conspiracy and how much of this was a mob turned loose. Okay, well, now we're on to the, the, this, this keyword of conspiracy. So I want to get to this idea of facts and truth. And, and the thing that is different is that I was never questioned this much. I can't tell you how many people will say to me, well, how do you know? When I'll tell them something I found out, well, how do you know? Now, right there, I am still thinking about this as fact against fact, but maybe how I should be thinking about it is source against source. Because what this is coming down to is, on whose authority do you rest your judgment? Where do you go to get a, a political answer and political action for the problems in the world? A lot of folks don't follow the news that closely. They don't follow okay. politics. They follow their church pastor. Uh, they follow their community leaders, they follow their uh, family authorities, except at Thanksgiving when they have their real debates over the table. I was at The Daily Show for 12 years, and there'd always be these polls that come out that more people get their news from The Daily Show. And I always found it alarming because I was like, you shouldn't be getting your news from someone whose goal is to make you laugh. You should be getting your news from someone whose goal is to inform you with, with correct information. There, there was a period of time uh, when when there was greater trust in the media. It has been grossly eroded. No one's believing us, you know, when we, and that is something different. When I started, people believed what we said when we stood up and we broadcast, at least I thought they did. The 21st annual trust barometer put out by the global communications firm Edelman found that trust in media is at an all time low, no matter what your ideology. In fact, Edelman is describing this crash in trust as an international information bankruptcy. In terms of the old journalism, you go back to the first half of the 20th century and it's very partisan. We became very neutralized after World War II. Broadcast is regulated by government and therefore you don't want to offend government that grants you the license. And then when we get to the end of the 20th century or around about the time Ted Turner invented uh, CNN and got some of us employed, you have this proliferation of non-regulated media that starts on cable and it goes even more so into the vastness of the internet, opening up the, the, the door for every imaginable uh, opinion to be shared rather than, than banking on facts. For very commercial reasons, to drive viewership and it's been opinion led and so it's played into the hands of politicians who want their opinion to appear on a particular channel in a particular way they have fed off each other's needs as far as i can tell it's a matrix you know daniel patrick moynihan said everybody's entitled to their own uh opinion but not their own facts well bless his heart i've reached the age now where everybody feels entitled to their own facts 
And you know what? The, the market provides it for them. I mean, depending on what channel you watch or what, what website you go to. And that has divided us and, and created these dueling realities more than anything. Uh, have I changed my mind about free speech? No. Uh, I still have faith in it, but it's never easy to live with free speech. Stephen, you said something interesting to me about the trajectory of how a lie becomes a fact. If you want your ideology to stick, the best thing to do is just keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it. Um, and basically what's happening is in our own corners, we are creating our own ministries of propaganda and we're putting out those lies and reinforcing them and then proving them and then reinforcing them again to the point at which those that follow the particular ideology, and this can be left and right, it's nothing to do with partisan politics, start to believe everything that's said. Objectively, there isn't another side that, you know, there's someone who's continuing a lie that's being told during the, the last presidential election. There was this huge misinformation campaign on Facebook, for example. Some people I love had these crazy ideas, but someone put billions of dollars into confusing them to support these ideas. Facts and faith are two different things. Trump support is faith-based, not faith in the conventional religious sense, but, but we have faith in him. He's going to do what, what he promised us. It's playing to the same emotions right. that, that are built up, not based on facts, but based on a, a, a promise and a false hope that you can deliver something that's undeliverable. I think you're absolutely right about this issue of faith. I think there's also a difference between fact and truth. So basically, we can establish a central set of facts, but everyone will have their own truths about those facts. Having a central set of facts will not solve this. What we actually really need to do is reestablish trust, because if you have trust, then you can start to find a shared truth. There has to be some boundary beyond which you cannot go Deniers are always apologists um, for the ideology that they believe in. And that ideology can rattle around in an information echo chamber where the media reinforces not just opinion-driven news, but also pre-existing assumptions about each other. My first job at The Daily Show was actually, I worked in the field departments where the correspondents go out and interview people. It was so hard to book people to be in those segments because the vast majority of people that you spoke to were reasonable. So Sarah, how many times did you have a producer say, but are they good TV? Yeah. I remember booking a piece when uh, the movie Brokeback Mountain came out. I had to find a homophobic cowboy. And I went through like <laughs> dozens of people and the vast majority of them were like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm fine with whatever. I don't really agree with something, but who am I to say? And I was like, this is not what I need for this segment. Um, but it, it was... It was a good thing to know in humanity that even though that's not what you saw on TV eventually. What happened? What happened with the segment? Did you? Oh, what, the what did, was great. Yeah. Did you? Did you seconds. find a homophobic cowboy? Oh, at the end of the day, there's always a human out there. But for a piece like that, the producer does not want you to find someone who's moderate. What Sarah's talking about here is not just a production decision for a comedy show to guarantee a laugh. This is the process for every mainstream so-called news program, and it may not reflect reality. And that's the problem. You talk about the old days of journalism, both of you. Actually, we do need to get back to that, those basics of here's what happens today and that there is some trust in what is being said by the journalists because they know it's not being opinion led. It's because they are reporting what they have just seen and experienced based on what happened. Then the debate can take place in an environment of trust.
no trust, then we just stay in our corners and the, the, the society stays polarized as far as I can see. It takes leadership, which uh, I used to think was just a cliche. Maybe, maybe I'm a geezer, but I don't think we got the leaders we used to have. We got to get back to believing in institutions. I don't know how we get to this, but if we can just try, like kind of stop this kind of business where we've got our hands over our ears and we're yelling at each other, just to stop yelling and just to listen a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. then there's a lot to learn from each other. The last documentary I did, Tickling Giants, is about um, the Arab Spring and trying to make a comedy show uh, in the age of the Arab Spring. When the movie came out, I thought liberals would be really into it. But what I didn't expect is that we had like all these conservatives who came out in support of the movie because of the free speech aspect, like Ted Cruz's campaign reached out to us to say there were fans and Glenn Beck and people I would never think would be on the same page. And for me, that was a lesson of like, we are so far apart, but we still support the same things. And I feel like right now, there's an opportunity for a leader to say, we don't have to be enemies. I'm not suggesting that we're gonna kumbaya our way out of the anger industrial complex, but if real authority is based in trust, then maybe this newfangled listening idea will help us get started. Well, that and some wine. Be careful yeah. with the, the cab, guys. It's like over 15% alcohol. It was a big one. Yeah, it's 15. <laughs> that I needed it. That's, that's definitely a good warning to give at the end. <laughs> Next time I come on, good. I'll talk about my eight days in Cuba with Mary Lou Retton. But, oh, oh, I love it. Yeah. I love no, it. Um, you went to Cuba with Mary Lou Retton? No, I'm just joking. I, I'm just trying to be as cool as Charles. I just automatically believed you and amplified your voice in this segment. Well, in that case, it's true now. Fact, faith, truth, trust. We are going to figure this out just not right away. Enjoy the zeitgeist, folks. You can find out more about the wine we drank on Instagram at The Cocktail Conversations and on our website, thecocktailconversations.com. You can also find out more about our guests and who made this episode on our website. Want more conversation? Of course you do. Join the club, the Old Pal Club. That's where your tax-deductible contribution gets you private access to special interviews, extras, events, and more. You can become an Old Pal via our website and our Instagram.